Well, good morning. This Easter, beautiful Easter Sunday. Way to brave that torrential downpour that we were all expecting. Megan actually had uh, 30 volunteers lined up with umbrellas to escort you to church this morning. But apparently, if you're a weatherman, you can say whatever you want. So, no offense to all the meteorologists out there. But uh, it is good to be together and in the tradition of churches gathered all around the globe this morning. I'm going to say, He is risen. And you'll respond back to me, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Risen indeed. Amen and amen. That's why we're gathered together this morning to celebrate the reality of a resurrected Lord. That Jesus Christ is alive and it changes everything. You know, the Easter story actually begins in a garden, but maybe not the garden that we're thinking of, not just that garden where Mary, weeping through her tears, sees a man that she assumes to be a gardener, and and the, the most sense she can make of this chaos is that maybe he took the body of her beloved Jesus away from the tomb, and so she tells him, sir, tell me, where have you taken him? I will go and get him for sweet Mary. And Jesus says one word. He calls her by name. And hearing her name come out of the lips of her Savior, she knows immediately who it is that calls her. And she cries out, teacher, and clings on to him. But you know, it's not that garden where the Easter story begins. No, the Easter story actually began in a garden way, way, way earlier. All the way back to the beginning of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 2 tells us about a garden that God planted. A garden of delight. It's called the Garden of Eden. And in that garden that God created man and woman, and he placed them there to live in intimacy and relationship with him. God, their father. King of the world, creator of the universe. To live in harmony with him and with one another. Fully known and fully loved. You know every person that you meet, whether they realize it or not, no matter how many walls they might have up, no matter how defensive they seem or or angry or fierce, at the core of their heart, is this longing to be fully known and fully loved. And I can tell you this, every one of you here, myself included, no matter what baggage you bring or the ways that you've learned to numb or defend or to keep people out, the walls that you've put up or the wounds that you carry, the baggage that defines you, at your core is this deep-rooted desire to be fully known and fully loved. And how do I know that? Because you were created to experience that. And in that garden, where it says that man and woman were naked and without shame, that walked with God, 
to take the goodness of God out from that garden to the ends of the earth, to be part of God's plan. Good work, dominion, to steward this beautiful world that he had created, but we know that story turns real fast. And mankind makes a decision to walk away from God, to place themselves on the throne of their lives. In other words, God, you run the universe, let me rule my life. Let me decide what is best, what is good, and what is true, the best way for me to live. Let me make my own decisions. And walking away from God, they turned against their creator, and they turned against one another. And into this world with that fateful decision to rebel against their loving, good creator God, into this world came sin. And with sin came death. And with death came shame and guilt and fear and hiding and loneliness, the angst of this world. And we know that this story has played out not just from that day, but every day forward, right? Because you know that's the world that we wake up in now. I mean, we flip to the headlines. We know we're in a world defined by fear, shame, guilt, hiding, loneliness, violence, poverty, Division, hatred, death. And yet the amazing thing about God is that though he'd have every right to do so, he didn't give up on his children. And the rest of the pages of Scripture from that fateful day forward is the story of God pursuing his sons and daughters to restore them back into relationship with himself to restore them back to the very thing that their hearts most long for, to be fully known and fully loved forever. The prophets will call God's people back. You've wandered away. You've dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water, and you've run away from me the fountain of living water. Over the centuries, God would do everything he could to call his people back to himself. Trust me. Follow me. Listen to my voice. And every time, mankind would play the same scene over and over again, choosing their own way over his. The prophets would call, the prophets would cry out, Until finally the prophets stopped talking. And for 400 years, God went silent. Not a word. And the people began to wonder, did God give up on us? Did he finally decide that he'd had enough? Did he go and maybe start a new colony on a different planet because we've screwed this one up too much? Are his promises going to come true? Is he going to be who he said he was? Is he going to do what he said he's going to do? Where is God? And I think if we're honest, it may be for some of us the same questions that we wake up in the morning with. God, where are you? Did you give up on us? Are you going to show up? I mean, what are you going to do about this mess that we find ourselves in? What are you going to do with this brokenness that's not just in here, but all over here, God? What are you going to do? Where are you, God? And 400 years would pass, and all of a sudden, a man would step onto the scene, 
and make this amazing declaration that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The time is now. The availability of God is at hand. And Jesus, who John the Baptist would call the Lamb of God, who had come to take away the sins of the world, who Jesus himself would call himself the Son of Man, would then walk this broken, dirty world with us, be tempted in every way that we were tempted, but that God himself took on flesh and became one of us. And he spent those years here on earth showing what it looked like when the kingdom of God arrived. He would touch the untouchable. He, would, uh, he brought sight to the blind. He would heal the lame. He, he would move with compassion in those that felt abandoned and ashamed. He would teach with such authority that those that heard him marveled at his words. That he wasn't just somebody that was speaking about God, but he talked as if he actually was God. He offered the forgiveness of sins. He even raised dead people back to life. And in all of this goodness, in all of this amazing, compassionate, sacrificial love that Jesus showed, you know what we did? We killed him. We crucified him. That's what humanity did when God showed up. And we know Friday, we remember that Jesus betrayed, tortured, arrested, mocked, abused, and eventually hung on the cross. But you know, it wasn't the the political powers of the day that crucified Jesus. It wasn't the religious establishment that crucified Jesus and put him on the cross. It was his love for you, for me. Because all the way back in that first garden, God had said that the consequence, the the punishment, payment for sin, the penalty of sin is the shedding of blood. But only perfect blood could take away the sin of all of humanity. It was Jesus himself that willingly went to that cross. And so when Mary showed up at that tomb, she thought that was the end of the story. And as she carried her grief and her pain there to that hurtful place, she was met by Jesus. Because death could not hold him down. That with Jesus that God was defeating sin, God was defeating death, God was restoring his people back to himself. And in that new garden, God was offering something new. To be fully known and fully loved. And so I don't know what you brought in this Easter morning. I don't know if you're dragged to church twice a year, and pastor world, we call that Christers, Christmas and Easter people. Some nervous laughter about that one. Is that a joke? or I don't know what, what wounds you carry. I do know just by some walking with you and some of your stories that some of you carry some pain and grief into this room, places of loss 
places of sorrow and suffering, things that you mourn, just like Mary on that Easter, that first Easter Sunday. And the message of Easter, the hope of God in Jesus Christ, is that Jesus meets you in your pain. That death isn't the end of the story. That Jesus is present in your suffering, in your struggle. We know that, that Mary would rush to go tell the disciples who were locked away and hidden because they were scared to death about what the future held. Confused, powerless, struggling. And maybe that's what you bring into this room. Anxiety and fear, unknown what the future holds, that sense of powerlessness, feeling of being stuck, scared. And Jesus shows up in the middle of that crowd of disciples, overwhelmed by their own anxiety and fear, and he speaks a word, peace, peace. And the message of Easter, this Sunday, 2,000 years later, is the same. That Jesus is present in your fear. That the living God is available to you. Now, Thomas wasn't there, one of the disciples, when Jesus showed up behind those locked doors. And, and so he comes on. A few moments later, Jesus is already gone. And they tell him, we've seen the risen Lord. And he's like, whatever. I'll believe it when I see it. Unless I put my hands in his side and touch him myself, I'm not going to believe it. And sure enough, what does Jesus do? A couple of days later, Jesus shows up to Thomas. Touch my side. Put your hands in my hands. And maybe that's you and your, your doubts and your questions and your confusion. And you don't even know what to do with this Jesus. And the good news of Easter is that Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. That he shows up in the middle of our doubts. That the living God of this universe and the person of Jesus is available in your pain and your grief. He's present in your anxiety and your fear. And he stands with you in your questions and your doubt. The message of Easter is that God shows up. And that he did what was necessary, that we could be reunited, reconnected, restored with him, fully known and fully loved. So where are you this morning? Not just for a nice service where we'll sing some songs, but really just pause for a second. Where are you this morning? Are you Mary standing outside the tomb weeping, covered in your own grief and pain? Jesus is there with you. Are you the disciples locked away, paralyzed by your fear? Jesus is there with you. Are you Thomas, struggling with your doubts and your questions? Jesus is there with you. The living God of this universe showed up and continues to show up. And the power of Easter isn't just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It's a story that continues to happen. So where are you? In just a moment, after, after the gathering, uh, 
We're going to baptize some folks who have decided to give their lives to Christ, to follow him and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Having received the forgiveness of the cross and wanting to make a, a public profession of their faith. We baptized uh, one uh, mom and daughter, had to be at grandparents today, so they came yesterday to get baptized. And then after the first service, uh, we baptized some, some others, and I know there's some more. And the power of baptism is this picture of this, is a physical picture of a spiritual reality of what Jesus Christ offers on the cross and by his resurrection. I mean, I love the picture of baptism. In baptism, we get in the water and it's this picture of, of being lowered back and into this, this old life that we have being dumped into the water. It's old being gone, dying with Jesus on the cross. You know, I, don't, I can't remember if it's Luther or Calvin, but it, it's said of him that when he would baptize people, he actually liked to hold them in the water for a few seconds until he felt them start to squirm. Now, there's some of you that are getting baptized. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> what did I sign up for? I won't do that. But, it, but that, it would then bring you up out of the water, and as you emerge out of the water, it's that picture of the old being gone, washed away with Jesus on the cross, and emerging into this new life, the life, the power of the resurrection. As Jesus would tell Nicodemus, being born again a second time, the old gone, the new has come. But there's a couple things about baptism that I especially love. One is that if you imagine somebody emerging up out of the water, what's the first thing that they do when they come out of the water? They breathe. They gasp. That's right. And it's this beautiful picture that Jesus, as he washes away the old, that baggage that some of you are still carrying, that sin and shame and guilt, the hurt and the wounds both that you've caused and that have been done to you, that we let all of that die on the cross. And as we emerge into this new life and we take that first breath, Jesus promises us, offers us the gift of his Holy Spirit, the presence of God with us, in us. In fact, Jesus, trying to tell his disciples about that, would say, it's actually better for you that I'm going away because when I go away, I'm going to ask the Father... And he's going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you, to teach you all things and remind you of everything that I taught. As we breathe in, that reminder that we are filled, receiving the forgiveness of God, we are filled by his Holy Spirit. The power of God with us, in us. Even in this broken world, still defined by the effects of sin and death, we now carry the kingdom of God with us. We become signposts of heaven when one day Jesus will set this whole thing right. The other thing I love about baptism is that after that first breath and your eyes open through the water, the first thing you see are the people standing around you. Some of them your own family, flesh and blood, but some of them your church family. And it's that reminder that as we are born anew in Christ, we're born new into a new family. And for some of you, praise the Lord. Amen. One father, a new father, uh, with, a, with a new, with one Lord, one baptism, one salvation that unites us as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters. So where are you this morning? 
We have some people that already have made that decision to follow Jesus and want to be baptized. I extend that to you. Maybe for some of you as a proclamation of your faith to join us in that baptism, that, that baptism act. For some of you who have wandered away from your faith, maybe Jesus' invitation is come back to me. Son, daughter, I never left you. Come back to me. For some of you, maybe for the first time, recognizing you've tried to make life work on your own terms all along and it's not working out so well for you. And the God of this universe extends this invitation into relationship with him to forgive, to be born anew. What do we need to take to the cross this morning? Where are you this Easter Sunday? So I want to pray for us. We're going to continue on in worship. But as we pray, I encourage you to just invite Jesus to search your heart, to be honest with him. Is there anything that is separating you from his love? Is there anything you need to give over to him? Is there anything you need to confess and be honest about? And where do you need to receive his grace? You need to receive Jesus Christ to offer him your life and receive the forgiveness of sins, to receive healing or hope, his presence in your pain or your grief, his peace in your fear or your anxiety, his faithfulness in your doubts and questions. Where are you this morning? Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, thank you We thank you that the the story of Easter isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. But the power of the resurrection and the forgiveness of our sins is something you invite us into even right now. God, I pray for each person here, every man and woman, every child, to have the courage to be honest with you, to invite you into those broken places to invite you into those places of pain, to invite you into those places of guilt, to invite you into those places of doubt. And we know you'll meet us there. So take just a moment and just be honest with God. Where are you? The Bible, confession is just simply stating what is. It's being honest with God about what's going on. The Bible makes this amazing promise that when we confess our sins, the places we fall short, that God is faithful and just to forgive us, to purify us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if that's you this morning, confessing your brokenness, your sin before God, In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus saw your whole life. Every moment from the beginning to now and every moment from now for eternity. And he chose to die for you. 
Will you receive his grace? There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. And the great exchange of the cross is not just that he takes our junk on himself, but that he replaces it with his goodness, his rightness. So can you receive from God the things he wants to pour into your heart, into your life? Will you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? If so, just tell him. In your heart, between you and God. Be born anew. The old be gone. Let the new come. So Lord, we invite you into this space. May Easter not just be a one-day encounter, but will you lead us forward into the ways of your kingdom. That we become the kind of people that know you with such depth, your presence as real as our own breath, as real as the the feel of the shoulder of the person next to us. That would be our awareness of you and your kingdom. And may we carry your kingdom forward into this world that so desperately needs the good news of your love and your grace and your hope. And God, thank you that you go with us from here, not just in this life, but for eternity. Fully known and fully loved. Amen.